Ships and Inks podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. Joining me is my co-host, Bill Hamlet, the Editor-in-Chief of Proceedings Magazine. Beat Army, Bill. Go Navy. Yes. So as we've described in the last show, I'm headed up tomorrow on one of the Alumni Association buses and we'll be working the game on the home sideline holding the down box. So you may see me if I'm standing next to coach when they show him reacting to something or if the play comes my way. So uh, CBS television at 3 p.m. I think is the, the that kickoff. That's right. Yeah, 3 p.m. March on of Navy is at 12 noon. And Army is at, I think, 1230. So those folks will be sitting in the stands for a long time. That's a long time. And it's going to be stands, kind of yeah. a, a wet mess, it looks like, in terms of the rain. And fortunately, not got awful cold. But uh, I think we'll we heard that, uh, that the president's going to be there. He is. He's that, been there every year. Yep. He switches side sides at halftime. Um, but yes, uh, President Trump will, will be in attendance. So that's part of why the uh, march on is so early. Is it? Yeah, I think the it's security thing, they lock, get, early, get everybody in, lock, lock it down yeah. before the president yes, has yes. to come in. Yeah. Yes. So it, it, it always takes a long time to get in the stadium, uh, and this will be exceptionally long. But uh, uh, looking forward to a Navy win this year. We're favored on paper, and uh, that'll be great. So as I was walking into Beach Hall this morning, another uh, nice event, Wreaths Across America, is placing wreaths at every gravesite here. Uh, in the cemetery at the Naval Academy. It's something they do every year. It's quite a poignant event. And they'll be doing the same thing uh, at Arlington tomorrow. So that's uh, that's a never forget kind of gesture. Very, uh, very cool of those volunteers to do that. Okay, should we uh, get to our guests? Because we have two guests in studio today. This is fantastic. Which is yes, exciting. please. We've got, we got two Marines with us today. We have uh, the third prize winner of this year's Naval Institute Marine Corps Essay Contest, uh, Marine Sergeant Daniel Hill. Uh, his article or commentary is called uh, Every Marine is Not a Rifleman. So some might say that that is a sacrilegious uh, title, but Every Marine is Not a Rifleman uh, by Sergeant Daniel Hill starts on page 16 of the November issue of Proceedings. So if you're listening to us at home and you got your proceedings uh, nearby or you can uh, do a quick search, uh, Google search for Every Marine is Not a Rifleman Proceedings. It'll come up and you can read along with the uh, podcast. And we also have in um, in studio Sergeant Major A.J. Easton, uh, U.S. Marine Corps, who is the uh, Command Sergeant Major at Training and Education Command down at Quantico, Virginia. And A.J. is also a member of the Naval Institute's editorial board. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later in the show, but... Sergeant Hill, welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. Thank you. And uh, thanks for writing for Proceedings. Uh, before we get into the, the meat of your commentary, this is, just would love to have you talk a little bit about how you found out about the essay contest uh, and your experience writing for the Naval Institute and Naval Institute essay contest, uh, just so that others out there who haven't uh, can hear from the perspective of uh, one, an enlisted writer, um, because we're trying to increase the number of enlisted submissions that we get every year. Uh, and I think if you've watched proceedings over the last three or four years, we have um, consistently had more and more enlisted writers in proceedings month after month. We're up into the uh, 25 or 30 uh, really great pieces written by enlisted authors in, in, in 2019, hoping for more next year. It's wonderful to have that perspective in the, the open forum. Uh, so if you could just talk a little bit about that, how you found out about the, the contest. Okay. Um, so I'm kind of known within my company to be vocal about things when uh, whenever I took issue with something, you know, they say once you become sergeant, you're supposed to kind of take the lead on stuff. So 
Uh, I started kind of being more vocal about things, trying to contribute more to the company. And um, there was an email chain going around the boat talking about uh, when I was on the Kearsarge for the 22nd Mew talking about this uh, essay contest. And, uh, you know, they, you know, uh, one of one of our comm guys came up to me and said, you know, have you seen this email? I hadn't. He forwarded it to me and he said, put your money where your mouth is and, uh, you know, put an opinion down on paper somewhere. And uh, my background's in print journalism. Uh, that was what I got my bachelor's in in 2012. So uh, I sat, you know, I was like, I didn't have anything specific in mind at the time. But, uh, you know, from talking to people and being around the infantry on the boat, uh, just trading ideas back and forth. I was like, well, this seems to be a common thread that I'm seeing among people because I didn't want to just write it for myself. I wanted to write something that I felt uh, would resonate and something that I'd heard other people vocalize before. So this just came from discussions I'd been having, um, ideas I'd been trading back and forth, and really it, it came from a place of just wanting to make things better, you know, always wanting to improve things. It's not about it's not about trying to be, you know, attack anyone. It's not about anything like that. But I think if you want to make things better for anything, especially something like the Marine Corps, something like the military, uh, I thought it was kind of my responsibility to an extent to sit down and write this thing. Uh, that's fantastic. I think our founding fathers would be proud of hearing that, right? That's that's why the Naval Institute got started in 1873. Absolutely. Uh, so, Dan, tell the audience your bio real quick, some of your bona fides. So I've been at 2nd Reconnaissance Battalion since 2016. I graduated BRC in March 2016. BRC? Uh, basic Reconnaissance course. Okay. Uh, and since then, I've been to uh, Army Airborne School, multi-mission parachute course. Uh, it's the free fall, military free fall school out in Arizona. Been to uh, Breacher, which is methods of entry course in Quantico. Uh, I hold a navman billet on my team. So basically when we're out on patrols, I just help kind of sanity check the point man, checking pace count, checking to make sure that we're not just wandering around in the woods uh, <laughs> in the dark. Um, so that's kind of where I sit. And uh, with my background being what it is, I write a lot of the reports. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so um, write or at least spell check the reports. Uh, and then when uh, in a raid situation where we're moving on a house or a building, um, I'm either the breacher or the A breacher, so uh, either first up to the door or the one putting the charge on the door, stuff like that. Uh, combat operations, have you been in uh, Iraq or Afghanistan? I have not. Uh, the only deployment I have is the 22nd Mew, so, gotcha. uh, which was pretty much just ended up being a uh, presence operation. Where, where were you guys floating? So, uh, out, out near uh, CENTCOM. Uh, went through U EUCOM, got to CENTCOM, and then they uh, just kind of uh, cut squares out that way. Did you guys go ashore anywhere, any bilats against uh, foreign militaries or anything like that in uh, the course of the deployment? Uh, recon, uh, we were with, we were called the MRF, uh, Marine Raid Force, uh, and we basically were always kind of to the winds. There were guys off doing uh, subject matter expert exchanges, uh, smaller scale stuff, uh, I was with uh, uh, survey teams that were going in and helping plan contingencies for evacuations. Uh, so in the in, in the event of something like Benghazi, uh, just whoever's going in has a product to basically look at and uh, you know evaluate the situation and plan routes and whatnot. Um, there were some exercises that went in Kuwait 
I know. I was a part of some of that. Uh, it was just amounted to jumps in a few ranges, uh, but nothing nothing that I was there for that that was really you know big or crazy or anything like that. Gotcha. Uh, and since your article was published, what kind of reaction have you had from fellow Marines? So obviously, on from where I come from, most people agree with what I'm saying. I haven't had much uh, person to per- like pushback in person from this. Um, and I've kind of backed away from social media in the last year. Uh, just I'm that's, having that's a hard, good advice in general. <laughs> I'm having a hard time reconciling its usefulness. I'm trying to figure that out for it myself. Has no usefulness. Uh, I think there's something to be said for it. And there's, but for where I am right now, I just haven't found it that useful in my life. And uh, I'm trying to do things that are good for me. Uh, so, um, not that I was like addicted. I wasn't like stuck on my phone all the time or anything, but uh, just I took it down for a bit and I'm just kind of evaluating whether or not I want to get back on. But when we, when you guys put the article up and it was on Facebook, uh, I did check it through my dad's Facebook. We were looking at comments on there and it seems to be kind of honestly like a 50-50 split, even from support guys I've seen uh, who are obviously the I don't want to say the target of this article, but kind of the subject of it. Um, and it is a touchy subject for some of them, uh, which I I realized going into writing this thing. But I have seen people, I have seen people that pretty much said, you know, I agree with you. And I think agreeing or disagreeing is entirely contingent on how you view what a rifleman is, which him and I, uh, Sergeant Major and I were kind of talking about before we started, which we'll re-elaborate on for our listeners. Um, but uh, that, that's really the biggest, uh, thing is how do you view what a rifleman is? And once you view it that way or see it that way or define it that way, who, who, who's in that club and who isn't, uh, I don't want to call it a club, but <laughs> for lack of a better term. So for our listeners who haven't read the article yet, uh, just give us a 30,000 foot perspective. What, what are the major points in your idea that every Marine is not, or maybe should not be a rifleman? Okay. Um, so in my experience, which I'll admit doesn't have anything on Sergeant Majors, uh, I mean, I've only been in for four, four and three quarters years. So this is, oh, this is coming from a Sergeant's perspective on his first enlistment. But in my experience, I've, uh, I've seen what to me is people in support positions that put a bigger emphasis on a warrior ethos or a warrior image and it gets in the way of them effectively doing their job, which there's, and there's, and like I say in the article, there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think, I don't, I don't look down on support. I acknowledge the, the need to have support. I just think that sometimes this, when people say every Marine is not a rifleman, they get in a little too into the weeds on that and it affects performance and support being as important as it is. I think uh, we need to to an extent, call a spade a spade. Um, if someone is in administration, they should be the best administration. They should be an administration professional. If they're in logistics, they should be a logistics professional. And I'm not saying that there aren't good uh, support personnel. It's It's been the support personnel that worry the least about the warrior ethos side of things that are the best at their job, in my experience. Um, and, you know, um, Sergeant Major has a good counterpoint to that, uh, which we can let him get to. But that's basically what th- the the gist of it. So, have you seen people? Do you, well, in general, do you 
from your view, again, that first-term enlistment sergeant's view, uh, which we love to have uh, because this is the open forum and this is where you get a debate, you have a conversation about something. Um, but does the the emphasis on every Marine being a rifleman, does that take away from the ability of support people to specialize in those things like information technology, for example, like, uh, you know, being a, being a really solid logistician, does the need to qualify on the rifle range, does the need to, you know, PT, um, just as an infantryman, do those things, uh, take away from the ability of support Marines to be the experts that, that you think that they need to be? Um, I'm conflicted on that. I'm not, I mean, that's something I didn't quite get to in the article. I mean, it was only, it had a 1200 word limit. So, uh, there's only so much you can get to, but I don't want to, I don't want to make a clear cut. This is just to start the conversation, uh, this article. Uh, I didn't want to commit to that yet because I see it both ways. You know, the biggest counterpoint I've seen, and it's, it's a good counterpoint is as Sergeant Major has seen in his experience, especially being support personnel, uh, he, you know, everyone's gotten some in a combat zone. They, you know, they, they return fire, they have to shoot back, you know, and a lot of support personnel have, I mean, there's support personnel that have combat action ribbons and I am in a combat <laughs> job and I haven't seen anything. So, I mean, they've got, they've got me there. Um, and I don't want to take away from that. I would never want to take away from that. Um, well, I mean, we just had a breach at Bagram, right? And so it, everybody better be able to know their way around an M16 when that sort of thing happens in what is a relatively secure facility in terms of how Afghanistan goes. You know, it's not a combat outpost. That's a major base that got, well, I guess the the facility adjacent to the major base. They didn't actually breach Bagram. But uh, so let's bring the Sergeant Major into the conversation. Yeah, so um, Sergeant Major, if you would give us a, a little bit of your bio and, uh, and then let's uh, launch into your counterpoint to what the intent of every Marine arrivement actually is. Uh, okay. Uh, Sergeant Major Easton, um, I see I've got uh, just just over 25 years in. Um, I'm My original MOS, I was a combat engineer at 1371, um, and now I'm a Sergeant Major, obviously, uh, 8999. Um, my son is a combat engineer, by the way. Is he? Yes. Awesome. That's Reserve cool. First Lieutenant Combat Engineer. Nice. So he's a 1302. That's great. Um Multiple deployments have been to Iraq, been to Afghanistan. Uh, I think the the first combat deployment was in Kosovo in 1999. Uh, so you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to do a, a handful, a couple of MUs, right back in the 90s, and uh, do multiple deployments. So uh, thoroughly love being a Marine, though. That at the end of the day, for me, that's uh, it's about taking care of Marines and being a Marine. And I tell you, I love what I do. You've read Daniel's uh, essay and and heard the the thesis here. What what's your response? Well, first, let, let me say, Sergeant Hill, you've you've put together a great article. I I, I, I you. commend you for writing. I, I wish you know. I know Major General Mullen and I, uh, the the Training and Education Command CG, and him and I have had conversations on this. You know, we wish more Marines would write the articles like you're writing to start the conversation. Here, here, right? That, and, Amen. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, conversations need to be had. These things spark debate. They they 
uh, insight change in some cases. Sometimes we look at things and go, you know what? No, we actually do have it right. Or maybe no, we have it wrong and we do need to change some things. So, uh, you know, we really wish more Marines would uh, write articles. So I commend you for writing the article. I think you wrote a great article. While I don't agree with everything in the article, I think uh, it gets people talking just like we're doing today. You know, you, you made a comment about this, uh, the warrior ethos. Uh, and, and I think having that warrior ethos really doesn't take anything away from the Marine uh, in his or her MOS. Um, we all we want every Marine to have that warrior ethos because when you are deployed to a combat area um, and if things do happen to go south, uh, we want every Marine to be able to whether it's assault through to the enemy, to to egress properly, to defend, to have those positions defended. Um, and those things are important. And those are all basic skills that we want all of our Marines. At the same time, to the sergeant's point is we want the, the Marine within his or her MOS to be extremely proficient at their job, to be that subject matter expert. Um, you know, him and I were having the conversation before the podcast started about truly becoming subject matter experts. Um, and, and in, in the, the sergeant's article, he talks about PME. And we talk about sergeant's course and our sergeant's school and corporal school. Um, and these are fundamentals that every corporal should have. Like right now, we have the Lance Corporal Leadership and Ethics Seminar. And then corporals go to the corporal school and then sergeants go to sergeant school and so on and so forth. You know, these are all fundamentals across the, the institution, across the Marine Corps that every Marine should get. Um, and, and I'm going to use the engineer community as a prime example. Um, you know, there's the journeyman school. So at, once you hit a certain rank, you're able to go to the journeyman school. Um, are there MOSs that we have in our institution that should should have things like that? That's a that's definitely a, a discussion that could be had to enhance that young man, that young woman's MOS, to enhance their abilities to function within their MOS to be that subject matter expert, um, while maintaining the warrior ethos. So that way, when they do deploy, it, they can get out and function and have the lethality that we expect our Marines to have. And uh, I agree with that. I mean, you you have to, you know, if you're going to deploy support support personnel, if they're going to go downrange, they should be able to shoot back, you know. Uh, it's, once again, I just want to make sure that people understand at the end of the day, though, why they're there. Because I do think there's a difference between someone who signed up to be an infantryman, who that's their only thing they do. They signed up to go get shot at, to go blow things up, to possibly you know get blown up themselves and someone who was there when the shooting happened do you kind of see what i'm saying there so i do i do and and, and, and i th i'm not once again don't want to reduce anything or any what anyone's done uh i just hope so, sometimes i just see people kind of get confused as to which is which and i don't know that this is an institutional problem so much as maybe it's not People don't understand it all the way. Um, they don't maybe understand. When I see people that kind of get caught up in being, you know, once again, just they put that warrior ethos type stuff over everything else. Uh, I think maybe they're just confused as to when they say every Marine's a rifleman, it, it means this, not so much like, well, you're basically infantry. You know what I'm does that make sense? So when you say signed up to be an infantryman, remind the audience how the selection process works. So when I put my feet on the yellow footprints, I don't know I'm going to be an infantry 
person at that time or infantrymen, right? Is that you do. correct? You, you can, do? You can get oh, okay. infantry contracts. People do go in unclassed. Um, yeah. But mostly but, you have an MOS in in that you've already been fragged for? So yes. I, I, I spent I was ever spent time on recruiting duty for a little over three years, so I can I can speak to it. Okay. Because um, this is different than TBS, right? No, At TBS, and, and, you show up, you don't know what you're going to get correct. until you're done with TBS. Exactly, right. So on the enlisted side, when a young man or young woman is recruited, um, there is a the, the recruiter has a litany of, of, of jobs that are available. Um, and depending on the scores of how that young man or young woman, woman scores, um, certain MOSs will be available to him or her, or certain programs will be available. Um, like, we'll use me as a prime example. When I joined back in the 90s, in the early 90s, it was, I joined for the combat arms program, right? And I, at that time, I, it was engineers, tanks, uh, I think LAVs, uh, and I think, oh, I think artillery was in there as well. Um, you know, and I got lucky enough to be an engineer. Um, so, but I, at, when I went through MCT, Marine Combat Training, um, I could have wound up any one of those MOSs. Now, I think the recruiters of today, and it's been a long time since I was on uh, on recruiting duty, um, things have changed a little bit. And I think there are some MOSs, and I'm going to use the infantry as a prime example, is when you, if you're signing, a, and it could, I think it might be a UH contract, uh, the infantry contract, when you go to the school of infantry, um, at, and I don't know at what point I'd have to ask the question is, is they get designated whether or not you're going to be an 0311, an 0331, an 0341. Um, those are uh, like a mortarman or a machine gun, you know, whatever whatever the case is. Um, but you're signing basically a, the contract to be an O3XX, right? Um, and then there's certain other MOSs. There's aviation MOSs where you know that you're getting into a specific portion of the aviation side of the house and you're signing for whether it's you know the the four years the five years or the six years. Um, and then you are correct when it comes to the officers at TBS, you know, they um, it's broke down into thirds and then you know you kind of get to choose that way and that's 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 a different animal in except itself. for aviation correct selects, unless they right? come in as an aviation yeah. contract correct but yes i mean when you go to boot camp in my experience and you knew uh people uh, infantry contracts were highly sought after at least at my recruiting station in pittsburgh uh they, they and the recruiters would ask like, "Why are all you guys trying to be infantry? It's not that cool." And that's <laughs> you know that's probably somewhat of a recruiter thing to say because it's like we have these other contracts we got to give out. Uh, in my in my three years on recruiting duty, the first MOSs that were always would always go were infantry was the first MOS. We always ran out of infantry contracts because it seemed like every young man and even women at the time too, you know, and this was the nineties. Oh, I want to join the infantry, um, and I'm glad things have changed, right? So we can actually do those things now. Um, where the infantry contracts which would go first, and believe it or not, the next contracts would usually be uh, the MP contracts. Those were, those were the, the the two MOSs that were always sought after, at least during my time on recruiting duty. It hadn't changed in 2014, <laughs> uh, but you know they do go there for that. Uh, when they get to boot camp, they're like, "I'm here to be an infantryman," and then everyone goes through the same three month you know song and dance, and then some people go to MCT. That's where support personnel go. That's marine combat training. That's for, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but anyone outside the O3 field that is goes, okay. Yep. And then anyone in the O3 field goes to ITB, Infantry Training Battalion. And so where, where are those things located? So SOI East and SOI West, uh, obviously. Uh, so SOI East is down at uh, um, North Carolina. Okay. Um, and then, School of right, Infantry. Yeah. 
the School of Infantry. SOI, School of Infantry. Apologize. School of Infantry East is on Camp Geiger, which is next to Camp Lejeune down in North Carolina. And then SOI West, School of Infantry West, is out at Camp Pendleton. Which training areas? I'm having a brain fart right now. And MCT. And where is MCT? It was in the same area. It's it's, the same. So they're located. They're they're actually they fall under the same battalion, um, uh, and they just get separated once you get there. Like all the other MOSs, as the sergeant said, uh, go to um, MCT, Marine Combat Training, and then all of the O3XX MOSs, those Marines that signed up for that contract, they go to the SOI portion of it, the School of Infantry, and that's that is their MOS training. Where the Marines that are going to MCT, they do MCT, and then they go to their follow-on MOS school to to get their the, the resident knowledge within their MOS. Does and, anybody ever change? What if you get there and you're a fantastic sharpshooter and you just love the core infantry life and you didn't realize? Is there any I way th- to change during boot camp? I think that it, I've seen people request. What, what I saw was unclassed people requesting contracts, and if the drill instructors like them, they might try to make something happen. But it's not. I didn't see it happen. Hard to do is what is I, I imagine. Characterize that. It would be hard to do. I mean, you've already signed the contract at yeah. that point, so and they're filling quotas. And so, if yeah. if you leave, um, you know, a, a combat engineer slot, then somebody else has to fill it, and you know, so. I, but it's possible. It, it, it happens in very very few cases. Okay. You and I imagine you'd have to be an all star of some sort. You'd have to have a lot of people's attention right. to make them want to invest the time and energy into. You know, shifting all that stuff around. Yes. Because uh, once boot camp ends, everything's kind of chaos. It's like you're getting orders to go here. You're going on boot leave. You have to get flights here. Like I had to go from the East Coast to the West Coast because for recon contracts, you have to go to infantry training battalion in California because um, recon uh, recon training company is in California. So you didn't just have an infantry contract. You also had a, a recon contract. So I had a recon contract and they've changed this now but so what happened when i was before i became before i went to recon was you would go to the in the o3xx package which is 30 days of extremely basic infantry stuff like digging fighting holes going on the long hikes doing some night shoots at the ranges nothing super crazy and then all the recon contracts within after that first month and everyone goes through that they then go down the road to rtc recon training company and that's where you stay you go into what was called mart marines winning reconnaissance training and you know you pt every day waiting for a class to open uh you just get thrashed (laughs) swim in the pacific Uh, freeze your ass off right they're not allowed to take people to the pool in mart anymore because someone drowned uh just having the proper structures in place uh they need to dedicate manpower to the actual course so to then pull people from the course to date the guys just waiting to go you know, it's kind of on you on like the weekends to go out into town and go to a pool if you think you have a shortcoming. That's what I did. Okay. Uh, but then infantry Marines, though, everyone else, all the other O3s, they continue on to another month. And that's where they go specifically to their contract specific school. So everyone goes through O3XX. And then the other infantry Marines, like the machine gunners, go to the machine gunner school. The mortarmen go to the mortarman school. They all stay in the same place. And there's a big... Uh, multilateral exercise at the end of it where they all come together and do a big exercise and show that they can do the thing that they trained to do over the last month. And that's what the O3s do. The MCT, that's 
one month as well? Or? I think it's 28 training days, I do believe. Um, and then once they graduate, they move on to their MOS school. Yeah. And it that's, uh, what was MCT? What was MCT like? I don't know. I didn't. So for me, MCT was, you know, you kind of explained a little bit of it. You know, you're doing those basic infantry skills where you're, you know, you're digging fighting holes, you're, you know, you're moving in the offense, uh, you know, whether it's in formations, um, you're doing shoots, whether it's a night shoot or day shoot, you know, you're doing those basic infantry skills uh, to build that foundation of every, that every Marine should have, right? That every every Marine gets, uh, should get. And uh, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, some become extremely proficient in it and truly love it and then they're like god i wish i could change mos's and, and then they uh, and some get the opportunity to lap move after they've done x number of years in the marine corps or after they've done with their first first enlistment, enlistment right and usually can, is when lateral yep, moves happen and then they can lap move um uh, so for me mct back in the 90s was you know you're doing the basic infantry skills nothing more than just the basic infantry skills which really set a good foundation for every single marine uh, that was not in the 03xx uh, continuum. Um, so I guess where it gets to my point, if we're going to talk about, you know, the training is, are those skills retained, um, refreshed enough once they hit the fleet? And I'm not, and this isn't anything that you can control in training because you do your part, you know, uh, you get them to the infantry school, you get them the basic, basic infantry tactics, so on and so forth. But once they hit the fleet, are they getting out in the field enough to realistically say that they've still retained that knowledge? And I would say that really falls upon the the unit commander, right? The unit mm-hmm. commander's got to set the tone uh, for his or her unit, um, and they've got priorities, right? So in some cases, some unit commanders are making it a priority to go to the field and and practice those skills while the young Marine is still doing his or her MOS, right? Uh, dual, it's a dual hatting in that sense um, to continue to work upon that foundation that was taught at uh, recruit training and then at MCT. And then there are some units, some unit commanders uh, choose to say, hey, listen, we have other things to take care of right now. And I need you focused on uh, doing your MOS and, and we're going to reduce the amount of field time we do. And we're going to reduce the amount of, um, of uh, basic infantry tactics that the young Marine is going to practice uh, when they go to the field. Uh, but that's upon that unit commander to make that determination on what the priority is for his or her unit. Um, and while every Marine needs to retain those skills and they should retain those skills and they should practice those skills. Some units happen to do it better than others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Sergeant Hill, at, towards the end of your article, you say, uh, we cannot keep pretending that all Marines can be the same. The idea, this idea creates additional requirements that compete in time, energy, and resources with each Marine's primary job. And this detracts from individual and unit readiness. So that's kind of the crux of your argument. And so from your perspective, you know, sort of first term enlistment out on a mew, a float. Um, did you see that where you, as a, as a combat arms guy, did you see, uh, you know, things that were detracting from the support team that you had, um, some of those skills that you wish that they were better at, uh, you know, being, being degraded a little bit because they're focused on those basic, uh, you know, combat arms things that weren't really their, their MOS. Well, what I've seen is ultimately it boils down to one or the other. You know, uh, you see some guys that are that are good at it and some guys that aren't, as the sergeant major said, but there doesn't seem to be time for both realistically. Uh, and I mean, that's fair. You, you do need to 
if you're going to be this, you're going to be that. Like if you're going to be a support personnel who does comm, you're going to spend a lot of time in the comm locker or the comm shop, making sure that the radios are all there, keeping accountability, the equipment. And then, you know, we would take them up to a square bay and their shot groups would just be uh, <laughs> really bad. Uh, so I have never, but granted, they're only going to be shooting if they absolutely have to, at least as I understand it. Um, so do we need them to have, you know, a, a 12 inch shot group super tight all the time? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Um, well, so what you're saying is if it comes down to them shooting, you're, you're definitely behind the eight ball. Could you, uh, tactically, right? I mean, if it comes down to this guy is the one who's going to defend your fighting position, then, then things have gone horribly wrong. Yes. You, uh, Sergeant Major, I think you can maybe enlighten us a little more on this because you're the one who's seen combat here. So in your experience, this every Marine rifleman thing, when you were in country, how did you see it function? So let's, we have to back up a little bit though, before you get there, um, because you have to talk about the, the, the preparatory training that the Marine has to get, right? That's why we have what's called a PTP, um, that preparatory training before you deploy, uh, to get there, right? So you're, you have certain wickets that you have to hit and there's that checklist that you have to go, okay, we've executed this task and we are, we feel that we are proficient and someone's grading us, you know, and we'll use TTECG as a prime example, um, um, out at, uh, 29 Palms, right? And they're the ones who are evaluating the, the units that are going through there. Um, and we just, and in fact, uh, we just recently started doing uh, something out there uh, where we're doing more of a force on force. So that way we can evaluate the unit that's out there. Um, and it's, it, it is a great compliment um, to everything that we've been doing up until recently. Uh, and I think it enhances the units. And I know, I think second Marine division just recently went through it. Uh, they did their, their large scale exercise out there and we got great feedback from it. Um, but, Going back to the the preparatory training, you know, the, you spend you know X number of months uh, leading up to that deployment to whether it's you know the, whatever combat deployment it was, and those certain things that you're hitting, you know, whether it's the range, we're taking Marines back to the range. Okay, we've got to do X, Y, and Z while we're at the range. Hey, we've got to conduct table two. We've got to conduct table three. We've got to conduct table four. Um, in the in the process. Oh, and by the way, you know you have to um, when you're at your patrol base, you've got to do X, Y, and Z. You actually have to get out and patrol. So you're you're working on those basic skills again, while also looking at it and going, okay. Is my logistician, is he or she doing their job proficiently enough? All right. Is my combat engineer, does he know breaching? Like you went through breachers, right? So um, we have to make sure that those Marines still understand the that they have a checklist of their own as well, uh, above and beyond learning that, going back, not learning, but going back and doing the basic skills that they're required to at least know. Uh, and that's where the, that PTP really comes into play is – that lets the commander decide at that point, okay, this is the this is how we're gonna get from the beginning of our PTP to the end of our PTP to the beginning of our deployment. And we are going to execute X, Y, and Z to get there. So that way when we get into country, we are proficient enough to execute the operations that we are given or execute the tasks that we are given. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh Interesting to me and to our staff as we were reading these essays back last summer, uh, the winning essay, 
uh, in this contest was by a, a Navy sailor, and it's titled Every Sailor a Damage Controlman. So we had the winning essay, or the, the, you know, the best Marine essay in this contest was every Marine not a rifleman, right? Sort of going away from that and a Navy sailor writing, uh, essentially picking up on the Marines mantra and saying, hey, in this day and age, every sailor's got to be a damage controlman. Everybody's got to have that, uh, that ability to fight the ship, right? And to keep the ship alive and afloat and, and uh, to, to, you know, fight back against battle damage because we may be in the next, co- in, you know, in the next naval combat, it's going to be a, probably against a pure competitor and we're going to face uh, damage on board ships that we haven't faced since World War II. So if you're just to carry, because that's a great analog, but I'm thinking, okay, if I'm at Camp Leatherneck, right, and um, say two sevens deployed or something, and there's the infantry contingent, including the the recon contingent, and then there's the admin unit and other logisticians and so forth. Um, so again, it would have to be a really extremist situation for it to come down to my proficiency with a rifle is what's going to save Camp Leatherneck, right? Now, the ship, as we've seen most recently as the summer of 2017, um, your damage control team could be taken out during the collision. Um, And so, yes, in fact, at that point, just like if the walls of Camp Leatherneck were breached, the ship has been breached, and now everybody is in one mode, and that is damage control mode, right? So I think the analogy at once holds up and is a bit facile. In fact, I'm reminded of, I, I embedded with the 101st Airborne some years ago, and we're patrolling, you know, villages and like Mest and Yosef Kell, and we're on ridge lines. And this guy, one of the uh, mid grade enlisted guys, was like, How do you walk around here without a rifle? You know, all I had was a notepad, you know, a camera. And I'm like, You know what? If it comes down to me having a rifle, we are in big, big trouble. So at once he was right, but wrong in in my eye right and so when you when you said that as i was sort of thinking about that conversation i'd had there in the uh, the wilds of Paktika province back then i'd like to make a comment about what you said though you know you're talking about camp leatherneck or you know whatever camp is out there wherever you're at is who are the who are the marines that are manning the wall right who are the marines that are manning the the firing positions right and protecting that base usually it's not the infantry right because the infantry's out conducting operations, doing the things that, you know, Chardon Hill kind of elaborated to earlier is what they're trained to do, right? Uh, Going out and doing their job and what they enlisted for uh, going out on patrol. So who are the young men and women, Marines and and, and sailors or or whatever the case is that's guarding those walls? And this goes, you know, counter to what you're writing to Sergeant Hill is that every Marine is a rifleman, right? Every Marine has to be a rifleman because when you do do those operations and you are manning those things or whether you're out at 29 Palms and you are on the FOB, the guys that are out doing the patrols are the infantrymen. The guys and gals that are out back protecting the base is your support MOSs, right? So they have to be somewhat proficient. They have to be proficient in the fact that they can shoot that rifle, that they can conduct basic, very basic infantry skills. Right? That's a so, great point. Great um, point. Earlier, I, I 
mentioned that, uh, Sergeant Major, you're a member of our editorial board. I just wanted to touch on that for a minute because, uh, as my predecessor used to say, the editorial board of the Naval Institute is, is the secret sauce, right? So uh, I'm retired Navy. My deputy is retired Navy. Most of our editors never served in the, in the Navy. Um, but, you know, my, my experience is now three and a half years uh, dated. Uh, and so our editorial board is right now we have uh, E9 to 06 Navy Marine Corps Coast Guard uh, of all the different tribes. Uh, so we have uh, surface warfare, cuttermen. Uh, we've got a submariner. We've got uh, Marines. We've got infantry, et cetera. Uh, and having that expertise, having that active duty expertise on our editorial board uh, to read all the feature articles and give us a thumbs up, thumbs down, or, hey, the author's right here, uh, but they're really off the mark here, or this, you know, this is a great idea, great article, or it's not so great. Uh, that helps keep proceedings relevant. Uh, it helps bring out the best ideas that are offered up by authors, uh, whether they be admirals or, or petty officers, sergeants or generals. Uh, uh, and so it's just, it's wonderful to have you on the editorial board. And uh, you took the, the place of Sergeant Major Grigsby, who was great on the board. Um, so just give us, a, our listeners, a little bit from the perspective of somebody on the editorial board, what, what you've seen since you've been on. Well, first off, let me let me say uh, the guy that I replaced was a phenomenal and is still phenomenal. I, I wish he were still on active duty. So Bill Grigsby was 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 an excellent SAR major. Um, being a part of the editorial board, it, it, one is great. Uh, you get to read some really interesting articles, um, and you, to like what Sergeant Hill wrote here is is it sparks debate and, and to see. And read uh, f- various ranks, and whether officer or enlisted, write these articles. Uh, one is just it, it's it's enlightening on top of everything, right? Because you get to you get to read some things that you know you maybe don't have a lot of knowledge in that makes you research it a little bit, makes you dig into a little bit. Um, but I think to your point, Bill, you point out you know keeping proceedings relevant. It really does. I mean, because there's so much going on throughout. Uh, the Navy, the Marine Corps, or, or, or all the branches of service that getting these airmen, these sailors, these Marines, these soldiers, these Coast Guard men and women to write is, man, is, is key. It, it really is. Getting them to voice their opinion on paper um, and their concerns on paper or a different idea on paper. It just, uh, it's, it's, it's an excellent thing to be on the board. And, uh, I, I tell you, I, I, I'm appreciative of the fact that I get to be on the board and uh, I encourage for those listeners, uh, uh, you know, if you have, or if, if you are writing, or if you have a, a young Marine sailor, airman, uh, coast guardman, uh, soldier out there that, you know, encourage them to write because, and, and submit it to proceedings because we love reading the articles. It definitely brings uh, some new light to different things, and it's a, it's a great dynamic. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, we are, are running out of time. I wanted to thank uh, Sergeant Hill for uh, writing, and we look forward to what you write for proceedings again. Uh, and definitely. thanks for being here in the studio with us today. So uh, great to meet you in person. You as well. Thanks for and having me. Congratulations on winning thir- third prize in the uh, the enlisted prize essay contest. That's, yeah, thank that's you. Quite an accomplishment. That's big. I think we had uh, the largest number of uh, of essays in that in that uh, contest this year. It was over a hundred essays. I think it might have even been over two hundred essays. And by being
being published in proceedings, you join the bylines of those known as Lejeune, Cushman, Allen, great Marines who've come before you. So uh, congratulations. That's a timeless honor. Thank you. And uh, Sergeant Major Easton, thanks for coming up from Quantico. Thanks for being on the editorial board. Thanks for being uh, in the studio today to have this conversation between young Marine, old Marine, uh, somebody with combat uh, experience uh, at, at towards the end of your career and towards the beginning of your career, Daniel. Uh, this was a great uh, sort of dialectic, if you will. Uh, it was a lot of fun. All right, and uh, we'll just finish by saying go Navy, beat Army. Uh, we'll be back again next week. We've got the authors of the uh, Naval Institute Press book, Middle East 101. We'll be uh, in the studio with us next Friday. Until then, uh, remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. <laughs>